This is the Macmillan Library Podcast, a community conversation maker, bringing you curated conversations with Macmillan librarians, community members, authors, musicians, artists, and more. Welcome back to the podcast. I hope you're having a great summer and enjoying listening to some selections from Thoreau's Journal. Check out more podcasts at macmillanlibrary.org slash podcast for more Thoreau readings and other interviews and presentations to check out. Now, Thoreau. March 10th, 1853. This is the first really spring day. The sun is brightly reflected from all surfaces, and the north side of the street begins to be a little more passable to foot travelers. You do not think it necessary to button up your coat. I see many middling-sized black spiders on the edge of the snow, very active. The radical leaves of innumerable plants, as here a dock in and near the water, are evidently affected by the spring influences. Many plants are to some extent evergreen, like the buttercup now beginning to start. Methinks the first obvious evidence of spring is the pushing out of the swamp willow catkins, then the relaxing of the earlier alder catkins, then the pushing up of skunk cabbage spaths and pads at the bottom of water. This is the order I am inclined to, though perhaps any of these may take precedence of all the rest in any particular case. At Nutmeadow Brook Crossing, we rest a while on the rail, gazing into the eddying steam, the ripple marks on the sandy bottom where silver spangles shine in the river with black wrecks of caddis cases lodged under each shelving sand, the shadows of the invisible dimples reflecting prismatic colors on the bottom, the minnows already stemming the current with restless, wiggling tails, ever and anon darting aside, probably to secure some invisible moat in the water, whose shadows we do not at first detect on the sandy bottom. When detected, so much more obvious, as well as larger and more interesting than the substance, in which each fin is distinctly seen, though scarcely to be detected in the substance. These are all very beautiful and exhilarating sights, a sort of diet drink to heal our winter discontent. Have the minnows played thus all winter? The equisetum at the bottom has freshly grown several inches. Then should I not have given the precedence on the last page to this and some other water plants? I suspect that I should and the flags appear to be starting. What was that sound that came on the softened air? It was the warble of the first bluebird from the scraggy apple orchard yonder. When this is heard, then has spring arrived. It must be that the willow twigs, both the yellow and green, are brighter colored than before. I cannot be deceived. March 12th. 1853. Last night it snowed, a sleety snow again, and now the ground is whitened with it, 
And where are gone the bluebirds whose warble was wafted to me so lately like a blue wavelet through the air? The greater part of the alder catkins, as well as the willow, are still in their winter condition, but some have their scales conspicuously loosened and elevated, showing their lighter colored edges and interstices. They are actually beginning to blossom, certainly in advance of the willows. The sweet gale is the prettiest flower which I have found expanded yet. It is essential that a man confine himself to pursuits, a scholar, for instance, to studies, which lie next to and conduce to his life, which do not go against the grain, either of his will or his imagination. The scholar finds in his experience some studies to be most fertile and radiant with light, others dry, barren, and dark. If he is wise, he will not persevere in the last, as a plant in a cellar will strive toward the light. He will confine the observations of his mind as closely as possible to the experience or life of his senses. His thought must live with and be inspired with the life of the body. Some men endeavor to live a constrained life, to subject their whole lives to their wills, as he who said he would give a sign if he were conscious after his head was cut off. But he gave no sign. Dwell as near as possible to the channel in which your life flows. A man may associate with such companions. He may pursue such employments as will darken the day for him. Men choose darkness rather than light. March 21. Morning along the river. Might not my journal be called Field Notes? I see a honeybee about my boat, apparently attracted by the beeswax, if there is any, in the grafting wax with which I have looted it. There are many. One is caught and killed in it. It is a genial and reassuring day. The mere warmth of the west wind amounts almost to balminess. The softness of the air mollifies our own dry and congealed substance. I sit down by a wall to see if I can muse again. We are affected like the earth and yield to elemental tenderness. Winter breaks up within us. The frost is coming out of me, and I am heaved like the road. Accumulated masses of ice and snow dissolve, and thoughts like a freshet pour down unwanted channels. Roads lead elsewhither than to Carlisle and Sudbury. Our experience does not wear upon us. It is seen to be fabulous or symbolical, and the future is worth expecting. In all my walking, I have not reached the top of the earth yet. March 28th, my Aunt Maria asked me to read the life of Dr. Chalmers, which, however, I did not promise to do. Yesterday, Sunday, she was heard through the partition shouting to my Aunt Jane, who is deaf, Think of it. He stood half an hour today to hear the frogs croak, and he wouldn't read the life of Chalmers. March 30th. Now commences the season for fires in the woods. The winter, and now the sun and winds, have dried the old leaves more thoroughly than ever, 
and there are no green leaves to shade the ground or to check the flames, and these high March winds are the very ones to spread them. The woods look peculiarly dry and russet. There is as yet no new greenness in the landscape. With these thoughts and impressions, I had not gone far before I saw the smoke of a fire on Fairhaven Hill. Some boys were going sassafrassing, for boys will have some pursuit peculiar to every season. A match came in contact with a marble. Nobody knew how, and suddenly the fire flashed up the broad open hillside, consuming the low grass and sweet fern, and leaving a smoking, blackened waste. A few glowing stumps with spadefuls of fresh earth thrown on them. The white ashes here and there on the black ground, and the not disagreeable scent of smoke and cinders was all that was left when I arrived. Dry leaves, which I at first mistake for birds, go sailing through the air in front of the cliff. The motions of a hawk correcting the flaws in the wind by raising his shoulder from time to time are much like those of a leaf yielding to them. Ah, those youthful days. Are they never to return? When the walker does not too curiously observe particulars, but sees, hears, scents, tastes, and feels only himself, the phenomena that show themselves in him, his expanding body, his intellect and heart, no worm or insect, quadruped or bird, can find his view, but the unbounded universe was his. A bird is now become a moat in his eye. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. We hope you use this information to strike up a local conversation. Check us out at macmillanlibrary.org to see upcoming events, including concerts, speakers, movies, and more. We also have free online classes through Gale Courses, as well as a host of databases for your research needs. If you can't find what you're looking for, stop in at the information desk. The Macmillan Conversation Maker podcast can be found at macmillanlibrary.org backslash podcast.